You're listening to teaching from the Word of God, provided by Black Forest Chapel. This is the church where you will find biblical teaching and authentic worship with family and friends. We are located in Black Forest near Monument and just north of Colorado Springs, Colorado. We invite you to join us this Sunday. Find our location, worship times, and more at blackforestchapel.org. Uh, Let's pray as we open God's Word together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for um, the privilege to come and worship you, to be called by you, to be called sons and daughters of the living God, to have an inheritance of eternal life with you because of your son, Jesus Christ, his sacrifice on the cross, his resurrection from the grave, defeating death. The power of sin has been defeated. And Lord, we have been brought from bondage by our belief in Jesus. We've been taken from bondage, rescued, delivered by our Savior from bondage and into a glorious life with Christ. And that life begins now with us as we see the kingdom being built all around us as more and more people come to know you. Thank you for all the stories I've heard this week, Lord, of more people asking questions, spiritual questions, talking to believers about what they believe because they, they are without hope and their things are out of their control and they have nothing left. And so they're turning to you by your design and your providence. So thank you for that, Lord. Please draw more into the kingdom. And we thank you so much, Lord, for the privilege to worship you this morning. Um, As we continue to learn and open the word that you've given us, you reveal yourself to us, and you reveal your holiness, your otherness, that you are the great I am. As we, we looked at last week, Father, thank you for revealing this to us, and may it create a posture of worship, of humility before you, the living God the one who has no beginning and no end, the self-sufficient, self-existent one, Lord, you are holy. And thank you that even though you are holy and you cannot be around sin, Lord, you choose to dwell with us and you've made a way. Thank you for all of your gifts, all of your provision. And we thank you now that we can hear your word, help us, Father, understand. Holy Spirit, please give us insight and wisdom into what you speak and help our hearts to not only understand, Father, but then to obey. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, if you have your Bibles, please turn to Exodus chapter 4. We're continuing in our series, in the story of the book of Exodus. <clears throat> I'm going to read a little bit from the end of chapter 3, kind of a previously on the Exodus type of a thing, right? So we can move into chapter 4, remembering a little bit about what we talked about. So we'll start in uh, um, verse 13 of chapter 3, and then we're going to read through all of chapter 4 this morning. So chapter 3, verse 13, Then Moses said to God, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. 
God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. We'll just pause there for a second. Remember, we, we talked about the personal name of God, Yahweh. We, we discussed the importance of that, that God gave his personal name to his people because he's a personal God and he loves them. And we talked about what does it mean to be the great I am. It means that he is. <laughs> he has always existed. He has no creator. He's the one that creates. He's the one that sustains. So he's completely self-sufficient, self-existent, has no beginning, has no end. Versus all of the other Egyptian gods that, were, that God would be compared to who were based off of created things. Animals, people, things, right? Gold, silver, creation. All of those gods were based off of created things. God was not created. He, he simply is. And we talked about that mystery and the importance of understanding that. And that's going to really carry us into the rest of the story. We have to understand who this God is and who we are in light of him and not take this for granted. We have lost our awe of God. And part of the reason is we're not reading about who this God is in the scriptures. And so when we spend time reading, when we spend time seeing what God says about himself and even his name and how amazing he is, this should bring us to a place of, of awe and wonder before him and ultimately to bow down and worship before him. You don't need to turn there, but um, feel free to write this down. I'm just going to read a couple other small passages out of Isaiah just to continue to uh, lift up his name, but also to help us to understand who this God is, the same God that we serve today. Isaiah 46, starting in verse 5. Listen to the words that God speaks. He says, To whom will you liken me and make me equal and compare me that we may be alike? Those who lavish gold from the purse and weigh out silver in the scales hire a goldsmith and he makes it into a god. Then they fall down and worship. They lift it to their shoulders. They carry it. They set it in its place and it stands there. I love the the verbiage here. It cannot move from its place. If one cries to it, it does not answer or save him from trouble. Remember this and stand firm. Recall it to mind, you transgressors. Remember the former things of old. For I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me. Declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things not yet done saying, my counsel shall stand, and I will accomplish my purpose. Verse 9, once again, I am God, and there is no other. I am God, there is none like me. This is the God that we serve. This is the God that we forget somehow. And God wants us to remember. One of the things that's been happening this week for me through a difficult week is the more that I read about this amazing, I'm reading about God because he's revealing himself to us. He's giving us these words. He's telling us who he is. As I read about them, my, my gaze is more on him. My thoughts go more towards him. I begin to just sit there and, and wonder and think that's, that's amazing, right? I begin to give him the glory, him the praise, him my focus and depend on him more. And my stuff becomes a lot smaller because I'm not focused on myself. 
Instead, I'm focused on this amazing God. And he does all of these things for his glory so that we will stop and look and say, wow, (laughs) he's amazing. That's his glory, shining a spotlight. All of his works, all the great things that he does, it's to showcase, to manifest all of his infinite divine attributes, his perfections, his holiness. So he does these works, he's doing all these things so we know who he is and that we would we would give him glory because of it. We would give him attention. We would say, he is God. right? Just like we've been seeing some amazing sunsets, amazing sunrises lately. What do you have to do when you, you stop? You stare, you're just like... Wow, it, it catches your attention, right? It's beautiful. The, the tapestry, all the things that have to come together for this beautiful picture of a sunset, and that's just nothing compared to who God is. And so he does these great works so that we will stop and we will be in awe of him. Isaiah 57, For thus says the one who is high and lifted up, who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy, I dwell in the high and holy place and also with him who is of a contrite and lowly spirit. And we talked a little bit about God's holiness and how he is, he is separate, he is other, and he can't be in the presence of sin. And so we are separated from him for eternity. And yet, as he dwells in his high and holy place, he also dwells with those who are contrite and lowly in spirit. By his choice, he chooses to dwell with us and he makes a way in his mercy and his grace. He is the one who's high and lifted up. He inhabits eternity. What does that mean? Right? How, do you, how do you inhabit eternity? He's outside of time. He sees everything at once. And so as we continue to read the story and we're reading what God does in these mighty works, be cautious of your own judgment of God and that you think, well, God's being a little bit harsh there. Why did God do that? And that doesn't seem to make sense. And you're coming from an extremely limited perspective, right? He's the Holy One of Israel. He is high and lifted up. He, he, he inhabits eternity. Think about who he is and start to, to start to understand what he is doing and look at his works in light of his character, his divine attributes, his perfections, his holiness. Not, don't look at them in, in the perspective of, well, I would do it differently. <laughs> what, what do you inhabit? Right? A very small space. So those are just, that's just kind of the, what we talked about last week, moving into this week. And so God tells Moses, he says, go and gather the elders. We're back in chapter 3, verse 16. Go and gather the elders of Israel together and say to them, I am the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, of Isaac, of Jacob, has appeared to me, saying, I have observed you and what has been done to you in Egypt. And I promise that I will bring you up out of the affliction of Egypt to the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites a land flowing with milk and honey, and they will listen to your voice. And you and the elders of Israel shall go to the king of Egypt and say to him, the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, has met with us. And now please let us go a three days journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. But I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless compelled by a mighty hand. So I will stretch out my hand and strike Egypt with all the wonders that I will do in it. After that, he will let you go. And I will give this people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. And when you go, you shall not go empty. But each woman shall ask of her neighbor and any woman who lives in her house for silver and gold jewelry and for clothing. You shall put them on your sons and your daughters, so you shall plunder the Egyptians. Now we'll read through chapter 4. 
Then Moses answered, but behold, they will not believe me or listen to my voice, for they will say, the Lord did not appear to you. The Lord said to him, what is that in your hand? He said, a staff. And he said, throw it on the ground. So he threw it on the ground and it became a serpent. And Moses ran from it. But the Lord said to Moses, put out your hand and catch it by the tail. So he put out his hand and caught it. And it became a staff in his hand that they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has appeared to you. Again, the Lord said, put your hand inside your cloak. And he put his hand inside his cloak. And when he took it out, behold, his hand was leprous like snow. Then God said, put your hand back inside your cloak. So he put his hand back inside his cloak. And when he took it out, behold, it was restored like the rest of his flesh. If they will not believe you, God said, or listen to the first sign, they may believe the latter sign. If they will not believe even these two signs or listen to your voice, you shall take some water from the Nile and pour it on the dry ground. And the water that you shall take from the Nile will become blood on the dry ground. But Moses said to the Lord, O my Lord, I am not eloquent, either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and of tongue. Then the Lord said to him, Who has made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now therefore go, and I will be with your mouth and teach you what you shall speak. But he said, O my Lord, please send someone else. Then the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses, and he said, Is there not Aaron, your brother, the Levite? I know that he can speak well. Behold, he is coming out to meet you, and when he sees you, he will be glad in his heart. You shall speak to him and put the words in his mouth, and I will be with your mouth and with his mouth, and will teach you both what to do. He shall speak for you to the people, and he shall be your mouth, and you shall be as God to him. And take in your hand the staff which, with which you shall do the signs. Moses went back to Jethro, his father-in-law, and said to him, Please let me go back to my brothers in Egypt to see whether they are still alive. And Jethro said to Moses, Go in peace. And the Lord said to Moses and Midian, Go back to Egypt, for all the men who were seeking your life are dead. So Moses took his wife and his sons and had them ride on a donkey, and they went back to the land of Egypt. And Moses took the staff of God in his hand. And the Lord said to Moses, When you go back to Egypt, see that you do before Pharaoh all the miracles I have put in your power. But I will harden his heart so that he will not let the people go. Then you shall say to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, Israel is my firstborn son. And I say to you, Let my son go that he may serve me. If you refuse to let him go, behold, I will kill your firstborn son. At a lodging place on the way, the Lord met him and sought to put him to death. Then Zipporah took a flint and cut off her son's foreskin and touched Moses' feet with it and said, Surely you are a bridegroom of blood to me. So he let him alone. It was then that she said, A bridegroom of blood because of the circumcision. The Lord said to Aaron, Go into the wilderness to meet Moses. So he went and met him at the mountain of God and kissed him. And Moses told Aaron all the words of the Lord which, with which he had sent him to speak and all the signs that he had commanded him to do. Then Moses and Aaron went and gathered together all the elders of the people of Israel. Aaron spoke all the words that the Lord had spoken to Moses and did the signs in the sight of the people. And the people believed. And when they heard that the Lord had visited the people of Israel and that he had seen their affliction, they bowed their heads and worshipped. Amen. We're going to start doubling the length of our services just so I can read all of this for you guys, right? Um, 
What we see here is uh, God transitioning, still speaking to Moses out of the burning bush, the theophany. He's he's giving Moses his charge. He's sending him. Last week we talked about Moses' excuses, his desire to be used of God with a here I am and then a who am I and then please send someone else. And we discussed the the error in that, obviously. Today I wanted just just to... Take a look at this portion of the story in the text that we're in and focus on the great works of the great I am. We talked about the great I am, who this God is, but I'm going to talk about these great works so that we might glorify our Father and look at them for, for what they are. Sometimes we glance over them. They're familiar stories. We don't think about them as much anymore, but we need to slow down a little bit and be in awe, again, of these amazing works of God. And so we'll take a look at a few of them, the, the great works of the great I am, what God says, he actually does. That's an amazing thing in and of itself, right? A lot of people talk, a lot of people say many things, and they make many promises, but very few follow through with them because they can't control everything. God can control everything. He's sovereign. He sees everything as one. So when God says something, he actually does it. So we're going to look at a few of those. Uh, so the three things we're going to look at, the three works of God that we can give him glory for this morning in this text. Number one, the justice of God, the divine justice of God. The signs that God provided, the signs and miracles of God. And then the words of God. So justice, signs, and words are the three we're going to look at from this text. The first one is justice. And we see this um, at the end of chapter 3. And sometimes we can kind of just skip over this, but this is important, and God repeats it more than once, and he makes a prophecy about it back in Genesis. It was part of the covenant promised Abraham. And so he, he recounts it here again, and then we see it actually being lived out. So it's important to take a look at it. If you look at chapter 3, verse 21, once Pharaoh decides to leave them, let them go after all of the miracles, all the wonders that God will do, essentially Egypt is going to just expel them out of the land. They don't want them around anymore because of these terrible plagues that are coming, right? Or that have come, and we'll get to those in a little while. But it says in verse 21, after the Pharaoh lets them go, he says, And I will give this people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. And when you go, you shall not go empty. But each woman shall ask of her neighbor and any woman who lives in her house for silver and gold jewelry and for clothing. You shall put them on your sons and your daughters, so you shall plunder the Egyptians. It's, it's a, it was a common practice for a, uh, for a conquering nation, once they defeated another nation, to plunder them, to take everything from them, right? They win, they get all the stuff. And so God wins, Pharaoh will let them go, and God says, you're going you're to plunder them even to my own glory. Right? And who's doing the plundering? The, the women of Israel are going to, anyone in their house or nearby, they're just going to ask them, hey, I like your necklace. I really have admired your, your, your earrings for 400 years. Do you mind if I take, right? They're just going to ask them, and they're going to give them everything to the point where they're, they're putting it on their sons and daughters. So it's, it's just a, it's a total like fire sale, right? They're just, they can't carry anymore, so they're just piling it on their kids, right? And their kids are just weighed down with all this stuff. There's so much stuff to take, right? We're talking 600,000, just the men on foot, not including all of the families, the women, the children. There's a mixed multitude going with them. There's well over 2 million we're talking about here. 
and they're plundering. They're taking all their silver, their gold, their fine clothing. And God promised this back in Genesis chapter 15. It says, but I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve, verse 14, and afterward they shall come out with great possessions. So they're coming out with all of the great possessions. God's giving it to them. And if we look in Exodus chapter 12, if you turn a few pages to the right, it says in verse 33, the Egyptians were urgent with the people to send them out of the land in haste, for they said, we shall all be dead. So the people took their dough before it was leavened, their kneading bowls being bound up in their cloaks on their shoulders. The people of Israel had also done as Moses told them, for they asked the Egyptians for silver and gold jewelry and for clothing. And the Lord had given the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians so that they let them have what they asked. Thus they plundered the Egyptians. This is a great work of God, not just because they get a lot of stuff. This is divine justice. This, this, this is a recompense, if you will. This is rest, restitution. Right? They have worked as slaves under a brutal dictatorship for, for generations. They have been made to have bitter, hard labor, ruthless labor. They were, all of the Egyptians benefited from the multitude of Israel working on their behalf as slaves. And so God says, I'm going to save you. I'm going to bring you out of bondage, but I'm not going to bring you out empty-handed. Think of it as God's amazing severance package, right? If, you, if you've ever had to leave a job for some reason or if someone had to let you go, they, they provided severance on your way out. Thank you for your service. Thank you for all you've done. We're, we're sorry we have to let you go. And so here's, here's something to take care of you for your journey as you find something next. God's providing for his people, and there's justice involved here. In Deuteronomy, and this is, this is part of God's law as well, in Deuteronomy 15, as God is presenting the law, he says, if your brother, a Hebrew man, this is within the context of Israel, if your brother, a Hebrew man or a Hebrew woman is sold to you, so essentially indebted servitude, slavery, he shall serve you six years, and in the seventh year you shall let him go free from you. And when you let him go free from you, you shall not let him go empty-handed. You shall furnish him liberally out of the flock, out of your threshing floor, and out of your winepress. As the Lord your God has blessed you, you shall give to him. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God redeemed you. So even in the context of... And, and slavery at that time was it was essentially... Um, the Hebrews could sell themselves into slavery. They, they, could, they could put themselves in the, in the home of another Hebrew to work for them so they might have food, they might have um, all the provisions that they need. If there was a debt to be paid, they were essentially a servant, a slave to that person. And it's really not much different than today, right? Proverbs 22 talks about that. The borrower is slave to the lender. You guys, Dave Ramsey fans, you hear that all the time, right? When we borrow money, we're indebted. When we take out a mortgage, we owe the bank. And they have everything as their collateral, right? If, if we don't pay, they will take those things from us. And it requires us to work. And we're working on behalf of those that we owe money to. So debt is not a sin. The Bible does not say debt is a sin, but it's not wise. It does hinder you. It can create problems. But God is saying here, those who are indebted, those who are slaves... After the six year, you're going to let them go free and you're going to give them all the stuff because they've benefited you. I want to bless them. You will bless them as they go. When God removes someone from bondage, from slavery, he gives them good things. 
And we see this in our own life as, as New Testament, New Covenant believers in Jesus Christ. God has saved us from sin, right? He has saved us from the bondage of sin and the wages of sin are death. Jesus took that upon himself on the cross, the great exchange. He took, he took our sins and he, he imputed us his righteousness. His righteousness has been put into our account. We are made whole and just before the living God. And we can have fellowship with him now. And not only that, as God has brought us out of bondage, as Christ has saved us, he gives us great things. We have an amazing inheritance, right? In his divine justice, we are made whole, and then some. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. We've been blessed with every spiritual blessing. And so as we come out of this life of sin, this life of darkness, this life of hopelessness, and into the life with Jesus Christ, he gives us everything. He plunders his own storehouse of riches in heaven, which is infinite, and gives us all the things that he wants to give us as his children. We have this great inheritance. Verse 11 in him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard of the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. We've been given an inheritance and a seal and a promise of that inheritance by his Holy Spirit. And I can just continue to read the entire book of Ephesians because it just fills us up with this great joy of all the things that God has just poured out on his people. We're, we're so, we, we have just, he's just poured, I mean, we just, he, he just layers it on us, the spiritual blessings in Christ. We belong to him. There should be great joy in that. When we read these things and when we start to put them all together and understand God's divine justice, he didn't just save us from something, but to something, we should walk differently in light of that. Right? And so we praise God for his divine justice. We see this when the the, the captives were leaving um, Babylon in Ezra chapter 1. Um, God also commanded that they be given great possessions as they left. It's just amazing. And the, the fun part about plundering Egypt with all of their silver and gold and fine linen is that then they have exactly what they need. They have the raw materials to then what? To, to build the tabernacle. You think, where did they get all this stuff in the desert? They got it from Egypt. So God uses all of, all of the plunder for their benefit, also for his glory. It's amazing. And so divine justice is one of the great works of God that we don't want to miss this morning. And as we talked about last week, when it comes to service, God gives us spiritual gifts. Sometimes we think of, I don't, I don't know what we think of spiritual gifts. Maybe we don't talk about it enough. I don't know. But we we're each given a gift from the Lord, at least one gift. Some of us have multiple gifts. They're spiritual gifts. They're not something we can manufacture. We can't create them. And they're for the edification, the growth of the church, they're for the benefit of God's people. They're for the growth of the church. They're to bring God glory. They're to bring you joy as well when you use them. But many of us don't use them. We don't either understand them. We're not walking with someone to help us confirm them, 
That's why discipleship, being with people, walking with people, being God's word with other people is so important. You learn so much more. And when God starts to grow and nurture these gifts, they become a great blessing to everyone involved. It's one of his spiritual blessings for us. And many of us miss out because we're not using them. We're not walking in light of them. This is God's divine justice making us whole, giving us things we don't deserve. And even in this story, there's this weird little section, right? As I was reading, you were probably like, oh, that's really strange. Verse 24, chapter 4, verse 24. So he's calling Moses. He's sending Moses. Moses gets his family, and he's on his way. And it says, at the lodging place on the way of the Lord, on the way the Lord met him and sought to put him to death. What? Like, why is God going to put his deliverer, this man he's investing in, this man he's appeared to, this man he's putting his words into his mouth, why is he going to put him to death? Because God is a just God. And he does not tolerate sin. He is merci- he's merciful. He is gracious. Somewhere along the way here, Moses, I don't know what exactly happened. They don't tell us, but Moses did not circumcise his sons. That's the sign of the covenant. That it's, it's the the recognition that they were to be the people of God. This was God's divine command to Abraham and to, and to the rest of Israel. He did not circumcise his sons. I don't know if there was like a, like just some Midianite affront to this type of practice and he felt the peer pressure. If there was some HMO, PPO problem and it was an elective surgery, so they're like, we can't do it, sorry. I don't know what the problem was or why Moses didn't do it, but he, he sinned against God to the point where God sought to put him to death. And his wife took the kids quickly, circumcised them, and so God let him alone. It's important because in God's divine justice and his righteousness, he he does not allow sin to go unpunished, even though he is patient and gracious and merciful. Moses was to be the leader of this entire deliverance. He was to be as God to them, the prophet speaking God's words. He was to be the model for them as they left. And he was to be the lawgiver. If he's not keeping the law himself, how can he be the lawgiver, right? There was a problem here. He wasn't living out the things that he professed. And so God was going to take him out because of his disobedience. And in his grace and mercy, he allowed his wife to take care of this for him so that God's wrath would be taken off the table, and Moses was allowed to move on. That's a small little interlude, but it's important because God's divine justice is important to understand. It's a work that we should, we should be worshiping him for. And his divine justice, his wrath because of our sin was taken by Jesus Christ, and that should cause us to worship him. This is how serious it is. So divine justice is the first act, the great act of the great I am. The second are these signs that God provided. Number one, God was gracious. He didn't have to provide any signs. He told Moses, the elders will listen to you, and Pharaoh will not listen to you, and here's what's going to happen. He wrote the book. He wrote the story. He told them what was going to take place, and Moses kind of fought him along the way. But God was gracious, and when Moses said, but what if they don't listen to me or believe me or or listen to my voice and say the Lord did not appear to you? Okay, God's got to be gracious here. And he says, okay, what's, uh, what's that in your hand? So using a common staff, a stick, a shepherd's staff. What's that? Moses has been carrying this around for years probably, right? Throw it on the ground. Okay. Turns into a snake and Moses runs from it. So we can, we can 
conclude that it was probably a poisonous snake, maybe a snake he's seen many times. He's lived in the 80 years of life in Egypt and the desert. He's probably seen snakes before. He knows which ones to, to use for you know, dinner, like Bear grills. He knows which ones that you can take out and have some nice, uh, nice snake meat. He knows which ones you should stay away from. This one he ran away from. So it was probably venomous, probably a poisonous snake. And God said, well, grab it by the tail. Which, if you watch Bear Grylls, you know that's the dumbest thing in the world too, right? Because what? The snake's going to turn around and it has an opportunity to bite you. If you don't know who Bear Grylls is, then I'm sorry, I can't help you. It's man versus wild, this crazy guy who does crazy things and eats horrible things, and it's, it's a great show, right? Um, but he grabs it by the tail, and so that takes a lot of faith to do that, knowing that this venomous snake that he just ran from was going to, but he grabs it by the tail, turns it back into a staff. That's a pretty amazing sign. We, we just glance over it because we've seen the show, we've seen the cartoon, we've seen the movie, whatever, right? It's, it's a staff, it's a snake. But this is, this is God showing us his power. This is one of the great works of God. That he could take a, such, such a common thing as a stick and turn it into a snake. He's got power over sticks and snakes. Simple things that we think about. That's, that's not a simple thing to do. Only God can do that. And the, one of the best parts is that the people of Israel who've been living in Egypt, they would understand, and Pharaoh, who he's supposed to do these, these signs to, he would understand as well. This is an affront to the gods of Egypt. The serpent was worshipped by Egyptians. It was worshipped for their wisdom, for their healing power. One of the foremost symbols of a Pharaoh was a, was a snake, was a serpent, was a cobra with the hood out. If you've ever seen Egyptian depictions and... Those types of things. Some of their scepters, their staffs were actually snakes. And if you ever look at a sarcophagus or sarcophagi, I believe that's a word, right? They, they have like the gold and you have the, the crown or the helmet of Pharaoh. And what's on the front? It's a cobra with its hood spread out, right? It was a sign of their power of, of, of Pharaoh's godship, if you will, of his authority. And so God is in, in some ways here saying, throw the stick down, I'm going to turn it into their God, into their authority, and then I'm going to turn it back into a stick, just like that. There's meaning in this sign, and it's something, it's, it's one of the great works of God, showing that he is the I am, he is the self-existent, he is the self-sufficient one, only he has full power over creation. <clears throat> so that sign is something to praise the Lord for, to bring him glory for, because he has complete control. He is the one truly in authority, not Pharaoh. And so these signs were to authenticate the message, but they were also going to make him angry. They were going to help Pharaoh to harden his heart at the same time, because Pharaoh set himself up to be God as well. He even says when, they, when they're about to leave, um, or when, when they're asked to leave in chapter 5, who is the Lord that I should obey his voice and let Israel go? Who is this Lord? I am Lord. I am God. I will let you know when people can go. And they're not going anywhere. In fact, I'm going to make their lives harder. This is Pharaoh's response. So this sign was an affront to him and his power and his authority, but it was authenticating the fact that God was the one in true power. Leprosy was the next one, right? Put your hand in your cloak and pull it out, and your hand will be as white as snow. Leprous, leprosy, which is a, a term for a variety of different skin conditions. And actually, leprosy affected the nervous system a great deal as well. 
so that um, you would lose sensation, feeling, so you wouldn't be able to feel pain or hot or cold, and so people would maim themselves even more so because of that. And so this was, this was really widely understood. This, this happened in Egypt. People would know what it was instantly when they saw it. They know it's highly contagious and that it's completely incurable. There was no control over this. No one could do anything about it. And so when he pulls his hand out of, out of his cloak and it's leprous, people were going to be shocked by that. They're going to be grabbing masks and social distancing and they're going to be looking for hand sanitizer and we're out again, right? So they would know what this was. They would be actually very frightened by it. This would be a shocking thing, and no one can cure it. And he puts his hand back in and pulls it out, and it's gone. This is a pretty amazing sign. This is a great work of the great I am. And then the Nile, which is a precursor, a foretaste of what is to come with the first plague. Take some water from the Nile, pull it, pour it on the ground, and it will turn to blood. The Nile was was everything to this, to this nation. It was the source of life. Not only did it provide water and life within for all of the Egyptians, for their livestock, it made the land fertile. I mean, it was everything for them. And to see this sign, the God, this God of the Hebrews, God of Israel, The great I am has control over all of creation, including the very source of life for this entire nation, should cause someone to pause. They should be astounded by that. So these are these these great signs to authenticate the message that God was saving his people, that he was bringing them out. This is the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac. The God of Z- this is the God that you've heard about for, for, for centuries. Now, this is the God that, that had this promise, and you've been hearing about it as a child, and you've been telling your children, this is the God that's coming to save, and he's got, he can do all of these amazing things, these amazing great works, and he should be praised for them. And they believed him, and they worshipped him because of it. And so for us today... What is our great sign? What is our sign that, that God is who he says he is? That he has made a, a great salvation for, for, for those who believe. It's Jesus Christ and the resurrection of Christ is the great sign for us today. We have the resurrection. It's the foundation of, our, of Christianity as a whole. Every other spiritual leader and false teacher is still in the grave or is headed there and they're not getting out. Right? Jesus is the one who rose from the dead, who overcame the power of death and of sin through the power of the resurrection. That is our great sign. In uh, Acts chapter 2, in Peter's sermon at Pentecost, Acts chapter 2, starting in verse 22, he talks about this. He says, Men of Israel, this is Peter, Men of Israel, hear these words, Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know. So Jesus did all of these wonders and signs. He authenticated his message and that he was the son of God and that he was the one who could save. He was the one that could forgive sins. He did, he did wonders and works and signs as well to authenticate his message during that time. It says, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. And what is the greatest sign here? Verse 24, God raised him up, 
loosing the pains of death because, he, because it was not possible for him to be held by it. God raised him up. Verse 32, then Jesus, God raised up, and that, of all, and that we are all witnesses. So Jesus was raised up by God. They all witnessed it. Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. Talking about Pentecost. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you've crucified. How do they know? Because of his resurrection. And Jesus even spoke of this. In Matthew chapter 12, Matthew chapter 12, the the scribes, the Pharisees, they're trying to entrap him. They're doing their whole game. They don't believe him. They're trying to find ways to... um, to remove him from the scene. Matthew chapter 12, verse 38, it says, Then some of the scribes and Pharisees answered him, saying, Teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. And that was, not, that was disingenuous. They, they just wanted to, they wanted to find another way. What can we, how can we get blasphemy on this guy's resume so we can, we can lock him up, we can stone him, we can kill him? What can we do? They've already seen plenty of signs. They've seen his work. They're threatened by it. They harden their hearts over it because they can't do it. They don't believe him, but they want to see a sign. But he answered them, an evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the son of man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. That's the sign. The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And behold, something greater than Jonah is here. Jesus was preaching a message of repentance and that he would die and that he would be raised again. This is the sign. And so we can praise God for the signs that he gave Israel, the signs that he performed in front of Pharaoh. Those signs worked toward his overall providence, working out all things for his, the counsel of his will so that everything would happen exactly the way that he wanted it to happen. He had purposes and goals in mind. And so he didn't want to just remove his people from Egypt. He wanted to remove his people from Egypt and let the whole earth know that he is the great I am all at the same time. God could have snapped his fingers. He could have just spoke something. They could have just appeared in the promised land, right? But he had, a, he had a different plan. His glory is important. And all of these works speak to the manifestations of all of his divine character, attributes, perfections, his holiness. That is something to be praised. And so the works of justice, the works of these signs, and then the works of words. God is providing words, which in and of itself is amazing. God's been doing a lot of talking here. He's really... he's, he's He's sharing a lot about who he is and exactly what he wants Moses to say. There's comfort in that. There's, there's something to praise God for that. Here's what you just say these things and they'll believe you and just say these things and he won't believe you. And either way, I'm going to show my mighty hand and my power is going to be displayed in all the earth. Just obey me. Enjoy me. 
Listen to my words. I'm going to give you these words. You're going to speak them. Enjoy them as they go out, and then watch what I do. Here are the words. And Moses is so focused on himself. I don't, I'm not eloquent of speech. I don't, I don't know what to say, Lord. I don't, I don't have those words. And if I try to say those words, they're going to come out. They're going to kind of stumble out of my mouth. And, and they're not going to be. Just after God shared all these great signs he's going to do and showed Moses, there was, a, there, was a, there was a practice run, right? Moses pulled his hand out of the cloak and his hand was leprous and he saw this snake. And then after all of that, Moses is still, yeah, but I, I, can't, I can't talk really that, that well, Lord. I'm sorry. My, I, I missed Egyptian linguistics and I don't, I don't really remember how to spell that. And what if they asked me to, right? He's, he has all these excuses. He's so focused on himself. This is why signs really, <laughs> signs are, are not something that we should be seeking because we're really out for ourselves for, for looking for all these signs. Even when Jesus fed the 5,000 in John chapter 6, he, he, they come looking for him. And he says, you're not here because of the sign. You're here because your stomach got full, right? You had your fill, the lows, and you just want more. It wasn't this miraculous thing that happened. It was a self-centered pursuit. Moses is so focused on himself here. And so God replies to him. And Moses says, I'm not eloquent either in the past or since you have spoken, but I am slow of speech and tongue. Then the Lord said, who has made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now therefore go and I will be with your mouth and teach you what you shall speak. God made the mouth and he made us able to speak words and he's going to give us those words and we have to trust him. It's amazing to me (laughs) just reading this and just, I start to get tired listening to Moses' excuses. I think, don't we get tired of ourselves sometimes? Just our excuses and saying no to God consistently and constantly and don't we just exhaust ourselves? If he, this is like, when, when my children and maybe your children, and I'm sure all of us, um, they, they'll spend 20 minutes arguing with you to, to not do something. Would it, would it, take them, it would have took them like 30 seconds to do it. You expended so much energy you know, and craftiness, and you had a lot of creativity, and you had these great arguments and great responses. If you put all that energy into just taking the garbage out of the can and sticking it into this bigger can... Right? You'd be done. You'd be off. You'd be off one. Moses says he can't speak well, yet he's arguing with the great I am for like two chapters. Right? He's having this constant conversation with him, but I can't do this. What if they ask this? He's asking great questions. Right? He's thinking through this. He's having, he's having a dialogue with the great I am, but he's fearful of going and standing before this Pharaoh and saying the words that God gives him. It's ridiculous, but it's what we do all the time. Right? You're sitting at work, you're sitting at a coffee shop, and you know this person needs the Lord, and God's been prompting you to say something, or maybe you're taking a, taking a walk with a neighbor, or, and you have a day and a half worth of conversation with the Lord about how you can't do it, and God only wants you to spend a few minutes proving that you can with his help. If we stop fighting him and just obeying him, submitting to him, worshiping him, We'll have such greater blessing in this life. We're not alone. Moses is not alone. Isaiah did the same thing. Jeremiah, these prophets of God. I'm, I'm just a youth. I don't know how to speak, right? My, I'm a man of unclean lips. God gives us what we need. 
And he will give us the words as well. The Holy Spirit will give us words to say at the moment that we need them from Luke 12. This is about being in the council and being questioned. And God will give, give his people words to speak when they're confronted, when they're persecuted. Here's the thing. Part of our fear is that we, we don't know what to say because we're not filling ourselves up with the words. God gives us the words. The Gospels are full of all the words we would ever need to say to anybody. The epistles, the, the letters in the New Testament are full of all the words that we'll ever need to say to someone. Fill yourself up with God's word and you'll have exactly what you need to say. You're not making this up as you, you don't have to be on the spot and be like, well, I don't know what to say. You do know what to say. It's right here. <laughs> Just, you're, not, you're not putting it in you. Right? So I ask the Lord often, even when it comes to sermons and I'm working on it, but Lord, let it be in me so it doesn't have to be with me, right? Let it be in me so it doesn't, and not rote, rehearsal. Memorization is good, but it has to go from the head to the heart. You have to understand it. You have to live it. So when you're, when you're speaking it, it's coming from a place of experience, right? That's where the power is whenever we're submitting our whole hearts to the Lord, And when the Holy Spirit opens our mouths, we'll have words to speak because they've been put in us. We've been feeding on God's word. We've been nourishing ourselves. But if we're not reading God's word, if we're just getting little little snippets, little sound bites here and there, it's not going to be helpful. But when we consume God's word and it's in us and it's changing us, you're going to have a tough time shutting up about him. Right? You're going to have to say something. Not only are you going to have to praise him for who he is, you're going to have to share with others who he is. That's where evangelism, really, that's the heart of it. That's where it should begin. Yes, we still need to step out in faith and our own fears, and Moses has his fears, and we all do as well. But God chooses to use us. He, it's, it's in his good pleasure and his will to do so. Enjoy sharing the Lord with others. Think about, have you ever thought about how you can enjoy that? That can be a blessing to you. That can be a joy-filled experience. It's always this terrifying thing when I talk to people about it. It's always a horrible thing, or I didn't say the right thing, right? There's always that response versus, praise God, this person heard truth. Praise God, I was able to share about Jesus with this person. And it's not up to us to change them, transform them, to save them. But we do speak words of life that Jesus has given us. So read the words of Jesus. Read the Gospels over and over again. Read the stories. Let it become, let it be in you. And so then you don't have to take it with you. You don't have to try to think what you're going to say. It's up to the Holy Spirit. It's going to come out. It's funny. Every time I'm studying something, whether, whether for teaching or for some other purpose, I'm studying something or my devotion time and, and I read the devotion and I go back and I read the text to make sure it's, it's, it's accurate that the person providing the teaching is, is saying what the text actually says and I'm reading through it and then that leads me to another cross-reference and I'm reading it and I'm thinking about it and I, I pray about it and I meditate on it throughout the day. Almost inevitably, when I spend that a little bit more time with the text, God's going to use it somewhere. There's some conversation that I have that I wasn't planning on. There's, whether it's with God's, God's people or whether it's with someone who doesn't know him, there's some conversation that comes up and God uses those words and I speak them and I'm like, wow. And as I'm speaking, I'm learning more. I'm like, oh, yeah, that's really smart. I can't believe I just said that, but I did. 
And it's helpful for that person. And God's teaching me because I'm being obedient and the word's in me. And so then I can just, I can just speak. And the Holy Spirit's always faithful to give us what we need. Always. So this is a great work of God to tell Moses, I will give you, I will put in your mouth what you are to speak. Here's my words. Tell them this. And they'll believe you. It's a great work. We have, we have the living word of the Holy One of Israel. The, the great I am has spoken to us, has revealed himself to us. It's living, it's active. He innervates our entire soul and our person with his word and changes us and transforms us and grows us and sanctifies us to be more like him. And this is the, the only thing that will help us with that. It's only by God's truth are we sanctified. These are great and powerful works of God, and we should praise him for it. Colossians 3.16 says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. Notice the, the progression here. It's not that you're supposed to teach and admonish and, and provide your own wisdom and then sing songs. No, it's, it's let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, and then you'll have what you need to teach, to admonish in all wisdom, to sing psalms and praises. God gives us all the words that we need, and there's something to praise him for this morning. Ultimately, one of the greatest works that we see in all of these three things is just God's providence, God working. You know, he says, well, your brother Aaron, I know he can speak well. And, well, he's going to come along and he's going to be happy to see you. And then what does God do? He goes and talks to Aaron and says, hey, I need you to go meet with your brother, right? God takes care of all of it. He knows what's going to take place. His providence is perfect. Israel, the elders, they believed as God said they would. Pharaoh did not as God said they would. And why? For his glory that he might show his power and his might in all the earth. And so our response all of this should be as the people of God responded, the Hebrews, the Israelites at the end of chapter 4 and the people believed and our belief should shape our behavior. If we really believe in Jesus and everything that he said then we should change our behavior accordingly right? That's that's the fruit that's the evidence that we actually are followers of Christ that we are his disciples, that we deny ourselves we take up our cross daily, we follow him that we love him more than anything else. That we obey him. That's a sign that we love him. Perhaps some of us don't read many of Jesus' words because we fear the cost required to obey his words. Yeah, I, I think we've all done that. Um, but we're missing out on the great joy of being obedient children. Think of your family. Think of yourself. How does it go with you when you're disobedient? When there's chaos, when there's neglect, when there's ignoring one another, when the family doesn't work, it doesn't survive. But when we mutually submit to one another, when children obey their parents, it goes well with them and with the family, right? Your heart will be much fuller. Your walk um, will be just much richer. There'll, there'll, there'll be a, a different sense of intimacy and closeness 
with the great I am, with your heavenly Father, this God whom we serve, this Jesus who saved us, this Holy Spirit who indwells us. Don't feel like that's for these people in this book that happened a long time ago. If you're reading about these people as I am, they're not better than us. <laughs> they're, they're sinful men, sinful women in need of a loving Savior. And that's what God provides. So let's believe him and let's worship him in light of all of his great works. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you that you love us, that you speak to us. Thank you that you you call us, Father. You equip us, you send us for our good, for your glory. Help us to live a joyful life of obedience. And Lord, in, in light of all of your works, we just read a few of them. We just read some of them, Lord. We know that your works are to be remembered. That your name is to be high and lifted up because of all the amazing things you do. All of these works just point. They, they, they point us. They, they showcase. They, they manifest all of your amazing infinite divine attributes and your perfections, your great love, your, your justice, your mercy, your grace, your holiness. All of these great works, Father, are to point us to you, to cause us to bow down and worship you. Help us to do that today. May we be a worshipful people. Thank you that you love us, and as you send us, Lord, um, help us to rest secure in your divine justice, to praise you for your divine sign of the resurrection of our Savior Jesus Christ who overcame death because of him, because of his work, because of your work. And in the resurrection, Lord, we have eternal life with you. Help us to praise you for the words that you give to us and to trust you with them. Help us to be consumers of your word, Lord. May we spend more time in your word than we do on our phones this week, Lord. Please help us. Help us to spend more time in your word than we do reading other types of non-biblical literature, Lord. The news and news feeds and Facebook and movies and television shows and news, cable news channels. and Help us to spend more time with you than any of these things, Lord. And by doing so, Lord, you will give us wisdom to navigate all of those things well for your glory and for your kingdom. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this teaching from the Word of God. If you don't have a church home, we invite you to visit Black Forest Chapel in Black Forest, Colorado, near Monument and just north of Colorado Springs. You'll find biblical teaching and authentic worship in an environment that feels like family and friends. Get directions and more information at blackforestchapel.org.